Men on Board, episode 59. Today, the category is Marvel. We'll be talking about Marvel Legendary and Marvel Champions. In our broader view, we're going to have a conversation about what games we would rescue from a burning fire. Hello, and thank you for downloading Men on Board. My name is Aaron. This is Josh. Matt. This is the other Matt. If this is your first episode, we are a board game podcast where we will take two games within a similar category, compare them, and then have a little broader view discussion at the end of the episode where we talk about something either related to those games or just related to gaming in general. For some program notes for people that already have been listening, first of all, we've been getting some more reviews on iTunes, which thank you very much. I appreciate it. I don't know how that whole thing works with like... Uh, itunes and it's not even itunes it's apple podcasts and it's helping us with our search results but thank you and uh if you haven't done that yet and you want to do it thank you in advance we appreciate you Uh, second up we are looking for episode ideas i know that we have a uh, thread or a forum topic posted in our guild i think we've had some ideas in the past like we should probably go back and look at those as well uh, but if you have any ideas for it doesn't have to be a whole episode it can just be like a game that you might want to hear about or like a broader view you want us to talk about a broader view you want us to talk about actually could be amazing because that could inspire an entire episode so if you want to uh, go to the thread on board game geek you can email us all of our contact information is at the end of the episode just stay tuned just pick out any of those get a hold of us yeah we'll give you a shout out too yeah it does not take much to get us to mention it's you. true literally <laughs> send us an email we'll give you a shout out <laughs> so we're talking about marvel games today who is your favorite marvel superhero okay that's uh... i didn't want to say it before because i knew i would have been yelled at for it being inorganic come back for me because this can be like a deep cut and i don't want it to be like something like super like level 10 why be looking at me okay i'll start with mine it's iron man because i'm basic (sighs) and he's cool and i think my whole thing is that i really like the idea of uh superheroes that don't actually have um unnaturally caused abilities so i mean obviously everyone that winds up being these are billionaires because they have the money to do it but i like the idea that people are don't have superpowers and they put their lives on the line a lot more i think than others because not having like some special thing that prevents you from taking damage aside from whatever you're able to build yourself especially with Iron Man because he comes up with it all on his own through the use of his own money and his brain. Um, so I, like, I just really think that that's cool. Plus it's like, ah, I'm in a robot suit and I can fly. <laughs> I only like superheroes that have unnatural powers. I too am on the like unnatural powers thing. Um, yeah, it's. I was trying to think of like a better answer or if my answer's changed. It's always been Jean Grey my entire life and it's... I don't think it's ever going to change. Like I was really trying to like roll through a Rolodex in my head of like, what's newer stuff I've read. Has there been like a new hero or something that's changed that? No, it's Jean Grey. And I think it's because she's not physical and in no alternate reality. Am I a physical fighter? And her, all of her power is mental stuff. And that is so incredibly interesting to me. And of all the unnatural stuff, like telepathy just seems the closest to something that could exist in real life like the ability that we could communicate just mentally that seems as close to reality as you're going to get compared to like my body's made out of fire and i'm going to like just turn this fire on and go flying and then on top of that like she can kind of fly sometimes and she can do other things and then I just think of like the animated series where she's just fainting left and right and I'm like yeah she's so underestimated as Jean Grey but then she becomes the most like badass intense thing ever because she's under like so underestimated I really don't know I I think it has to be an X-Men for me too um I always loved Nightcrawler like comic representation nightcrawler is just one of my favorite things ever and he was my favorite character to play in the little x-men arcade video game uh because he could just zip around the screen and i thought that was great so without any deeper cut i'm just gonna go with that 
Uh, my favorite Marvel character is his name is Justice uh, Vance Astrovic. He's like such a minor character, but he was uh, he used to be Marvel Boy. He was a part of this group called the New Warriors, and then he eventually graduated and became an Avenger. But my favorite thing about him, well, his powers are he's he's telekinetic. He can, like, move stuff, but it's more like a force field type thing. So he can fly and kind of imitate super strength and all that. But um, his, like, storyline, he had, like, an abusive father, and he accidentally, like, lashed out with his powers and, like, killed his father, like, while he was, like, already a superhero. And then he went to prison and, like, served a sentence for, like, manslaughter and kind of, like didn't try to like avoid anything like he just he made a mistake and he faced the rep- the punishment from his mistake and kind of just went on from there and there, there was something just like i really related to uh, about that just the fact that um just because you have like powers and stuff doesn't give you like reign to just do whatever you want that you there are consequences to your actions so he's always resonated with me and like he's like a he's a lawful good character and <laughs> as i am lawful good my favorite character is magneto not in this not in the hero category but my favorite character in the whole world but moving on we are going to jump right in with our first game which is going to be marvel legendary and matt is going to be breaking that game down for us so legendary a marvel deck building game was published in 2012 it was designed by devin lowe There is a large artist team, and it was published by Upper Deck Entertainment. So I'm going to try to do a shorter summary today and just kind of really hint at what the gameplay is. So in Marvel Legendary, it's a deck building game where each player is going to be building a deck of heroes to fight against a villain and henchman in the game. Each turn, players will play a card from a villain deck, which will go to different city locations. And this could be a henchman or a minor villain that players have to fight against, or it can be a scheme twist or a mastermind play, which will affect the particular villain that players are fighting that round and let special negative effects come and happen. After that, players can play cards from their hand, And what you're looking for is either star icons or little, kind of like little claw slashes, uh, what we affectionately called swipies. The stars will let you buy other cards, and the swipies will let you attack the villains in the mastermind. So when you're trying to create a synergy between both of these currencies to do both of these actions on different turns. Cards that players are playing on their turns also come in a variety of colors, And each of these colors will create synergy, usually within the same color. So players, as they're buying cards from the market, need to focus on which cards are going to line up and work best with the other cards already in their deck. After players have played all of their cards and used any abilities that they're playing, then they just discard their hand and draw six new cards. The main focus of the game is to both control the number of minor villains that are across the board, because if the little track fills up too much with minor villains, they will escape, which will bring the players closer to losing. But while controlling that, players need to also defeat the actual main villain. And the main villain is usually very hard to attack and has a lot of special rules that will make the players' lives very difficult. Once the main villain has been attacked a certain number of times, then the players will win. And that's basically what Marvel Legendary is. There's a lot of very small, nuanced rules, nothing overly complicated, but because there's so many expansions and subsets and different kinds of heroes and villains and schemes in the game, you can. there is a lot that you might have to look up in a reference card, but it's all pretty simple. Right off the bat with this game. So it is a cooperative game, but it's technically a semi-co-op, even though we don't play it that way. And I think a lot of people don't play it that way because you're all working together. You can all lose together. Like each of the different schemes have different lose conditions on them. So what the book tells you to do is that after you have all defeated the villain and not lost, you go and you count up all your points from the different villains that you fought to see who saved the world the best. And half the time I forget to do that because I I really don't even think about that. It seems weird to do that in this game because you you're thematically you're a group of people using these superheroes to fight a common villain and the heroes are working together 
to defeat the villain and defeat the the main villain. So to then at the end, after you've been fully cooperatively working together, to just be like, oh, who's got the most points? Particularly because like a lot of the minor villains, and in the last game Aaron and I played, a lot of the minor villains are only worth like one point. And the major villain was worth six. But because of the way Aaron and I were making our decks, it was easier for him to kill the one points and for me to just save up and do the big attacks against the main villain. But because we were working really well together cooperatively, that meant I finished the game with a lot more points than Aaron had. But why why should you have been punished and lose the game in the end? Because we effectively worked together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just it doesn't really make sense. And the other thing kind of like different about this one thematically is that you're not playing a particular character. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to like shuffle in a certain number of possible hero decks based on the number of players and you can buy whichever heroes you want. So it's not like I'm playing Cyclops and Matt's playing Phoenix It's that we both have those options. And like you might tailor your deck towards different characters, but it's any of the possible characters it's kind of like you're one of like the watcher characters from the comics and you're just kind of seeing what this team of heroes are doing and like influencing them maybe in subtle ways i don't know yeah that makes sense i think that's kind of where this game kind of loses it a bit for me because i really like being able to focus on being a character in a game um, as opposed to basically building this deck that allows me to take actions as if i was any of them i just feel like i get a little like lost when i'm like trying to stay in the game at least for the them the thematic feel of it all because i'm not playing a superhero i'm just like playing all these cards and they're all different actions from just different people so i have a question i because of my own faulty memory haven't played this game recently enough to really talk about it with any authority but hearing you guys talk about it a little bit matt when you're saying the cards synergize do they so you can buy cards from a whole bunch of different heroes and play them out throughout you know the different players can all play actions from whoever heroes so do the cards synergize like if Matt you play a hero card and then other Matt you play another one they build on each other no. so there really isn't a strong thematic connection then to like strengthening one hero versus another one I want to say no but there is so much with the expansions to all this and I haven't sure. played like I have everything for this game right now except for the except for the ones that I don't like the aesthetic of because they use movie stills instead of the yeah like it's i don't like mixing that like i just agreed whatever like i just want the consistency so there might be some mechanic somewhere that says look at someone else's discard but i I don't it doesn't jump right out at me to the synergy the way the synergy usually works and even in its variants still pretty much works is like you'll have five heroes in the hero deck all shuffled together And then all of the heroes come in five different colors. And now each hero usually only comes in like two different colors, but you have all five colors present. So when you're making your own deck, like earlier today, I pretty much only bought Havoc cards. So my whole deck was almost all one hero and all of Havoc's cards were colored blue. So they all synergized together because blue cards wanted other blue cards. But the version of Jean Grey Phoenix we were playing with also had some blue cards, so I was able to buy her as well and fold her into my deck. Today we discovered there are cards that want to synergize with your discard pile. So you wanted to move certain colors to your discard pile, and then you would play cards. Like my Havoc cards were like, look through your discard pile, and for each blue card you've played, do this. So there might be ones that are like, for if the person before you played green, okay, you get to do this. I don't, like, yeah, like Aaron, like, you can't confirm that that exists. Yeah, I wondered if the theme came through, like, maybe in the card mechanics or the way that, like, the cards suited themselves into being like, is there a support position available? Is there, like, one thing that does this um, that might lend you to having more agency in, like, the way that you build your deck representing a character or a play style? The colors do have play styles. Like, the green color is, one, represented by, like, the Hulk fist. And a lot of them are fight-based things. So the green cards are fighting cards, and they'll synergize with other fighting cards. So they'll create a very fighting deck. Josh, with the game, a lot of times you'll be able to build combos in your deck. Like, there'll be mechanics where if you already played a card of this color, you'll get this extra effect. 
um, the thing I like about that is that it'll let you play a bunch of cards and just do like a ton of damage or like have a really big buy action for that turn. And it, it has that kind of superhero feeling because you kind of start off kind of weak and there's not a whole lot you can do. But as you start building your deck and adding more stuff in, you'll get those like really superhero like turns where you're just doing these larger than life things, which is one thing I really like about this game. And I am going to kind of dig at the game for a little bit because I like this game. I've collected every single piece that has come out for this game because I'm a huge Marvel fan. I like having all the cards. I like collecting it all. And I do enjoy the game. The game's a lot of fun when you're playing with it. It It's one of my favorite deck builders just because not just the theme, but I, I like just how it all comes together. I, I like the story that's going along around it. I, I like all those mechanics. This game does not come out a lot because this is a beast when it comes to setup and teardown. I mean, at this point, my game is split up between four boxes, not an exaggeration, because there's so much stuff and there's already more stuff coming out. And I like having it. I like having those options. But beyond just going, finding different cards, shuffling everything together, putting it up, and then thinking about later on when the game's over, how you have to split all that stuff up, you're then going to have all of these different mechanics. And even when you are just limiting which stuff you're playing with from just being between uh, one set and like just at least having that kind of cheat sheet to look off of, it still kind of takes a while because you're still looking stuff up because there's just so much out there. And that there's some really good player aids online that will just put all the different keywords uh, together so you can easily go through it. But it's just a lot to wrap your head around. And it's a lot of like, wait a minute, what does that mechanic do? Okay, this word means this. Uh, does this do this? Oh no, that was that other thing. It, it's kind of finicky with that because it's a lot of referring back to things, which for what it is, I don't know that it's always worth it. I 100% agree. I think one of the saving graces might be this game, unlike like a lot of other games with a lot of dictionary terms, you don't need to know them before they come up. That very nicely, you can just wait until a card is in the market and then be like, oh, I don't know what this thing is. Let's go look it up in the glossary. You don't have to go in knowing like, oh, here's what these hundred terms are. Here's what they all mean. And then strategize around like it's not that kind of like deep planning game. We were just flipping over a card and being like, oh, what's you know, what does flight mean or whatever it was? And you look it up, and you're like, OK, that's what flight means. Now I know it doesn't actually affect your decision making process, not knowing what the terms are until you see them, which is a positive compared to some other games where you need to know all the terminology prior to even like really sitting down and playing it sucks that like I'm, I'm knocking the game down based on like how big it is because i chose to get these expansions and add it in it's like it makes it more of a burden because i like that all these expansions exist because i am like a huge nerd when it comes to marvel comics and i love kind of just the very minor or obscure characters that they're actually like adding in that's super cool to me and on top of that it's the mechanics of the game are fun like all these different keywords, all these different things, they will be evocative of the character thematically um, in one way or another. Like some of them are like kind of, I don't know, I, like there's like a size changing mechanic, but it basically just means you get to buy stuff for cheaper, which I've never really quite understood why one equals the other, but whatever. But they at least have very evocative names and they kind of try to bring about certain aspects of the character. Another negative on this game, and I, it's not anything particular to this game is because you're combining a lot of different villain decks with a master villain with a scheme and it can all combine in either a really fluid way or it can all combine in a really wonky way depending on which sets you're pulling together and same with the heroes like you could put five heroes together that don't naturally have some decent synergy and your game can just go really off the rails, either in balance to one side or not balanced to either side, but just still have it be odd and annoying and weird. Like the game can very easily just be like, nope, this isn't go like the combo that you've just spent 10 minutes setting up isn't working. Like it's just not going to fly. One thing I like about superhero games, and I don't know this one well enough. What's your ideal player count for this game? Because is this a solo? Like, can you play this solo? 
it, the player count for it, it's one to five. Matt and I just got done playing a two player game. Actually, that might have been my only. No, I think we have played it two players. I'm, just I'm sure we have. Before. Um, and it played just so well. I, I'm not sure about the scaling sometimes because mm-hmm. Matt and I's last play uh, two players was it seemed pretty easy. But that might have been because of the heroes we had with that villain or if we got the rules wrong. But we're 99 percent confident that we got the rules right. I think it was the villain. We played with a villain that was like from each person do something. Mm-hmm. So I think the villain would have scaled much higher in difficulty with a larger player count. Okay. So maybe it just wasn't the right villain for two people. Like maybe we needed a more flat powered villain for two people at the table. But yeah, it was fun with two. I think like any deck builder, it could get slow with four or five people because chaining so many cards together you're just going to be sitting there like well i can't really plan what i'm going to buy or attack because the market and the villain line are going to change by the time it gets to my turn so i kind of just have to sit here and wait a little bit until it gets closer to me but matt when you say that it makes me think about how in this game whenever i'm looking at the cards out there to buy it's hard for me to really wrap my head around what could combo well. So I end up just being like, okay, let me stick with like one team or like one character, one uh, color maybe to try to like build off with each other. And then just by accident, sometimes I'll draw these hands that just have these incredible combos I didn't see coming that make the game worthwhile. Like those are the moments in the game that I really enjoy is when I'm able to pull off these kind of big combos. And this game gives you a lot of space to do that. You just can't bank on them happening. Like if you're a player who wants to play some kind of deck builder where you can really hone your deck to like every turn, I'm going to be able to do some kind of cool combo. This isn't that game. Like you have to be really okay with turns where you draw like four basic cards that don't do anything. And you're just like, just gonna spin my wheels in the dirt here this turn. And then just hope that next turns the one where everything lines up perfectly. And it's super fun when that happens, but you can't play this game expecting every turn to produce those combos for you. Like it's, it's not going to happen. All right. So moving on from Marvel legendary, our next game is going to be Marvel champions. And I'm going to be breaking that game down for everybody. So Marvel champions was published in 2019 by fantasy flight games. It was designed by Michael Boggs, Nate French and Caleb grace with art direction by Andy Christensen and Deborah Garcia. So in Marvel Champions, each player is going to be a different superhero from the Marvel Universe. And you're gonna each have your own personalized deck that represents that hero. And you're all gonna be going up against a villain that's represented by their own deck. Now this is a cooperative game and it's fully cooperative. So you are all either winning or losing together. The game is broken down into two phases, a player phase and a villain phase. During the player phase, in turn order, each player is going to have a chance to kind of go through their hand of cards. Uh, you're going to be able to play cards from your hand, which are going to be able to do different actions. They'll be able to summon allies to the board to upgrade uh, different aspects of your character or to give you different skills. Each of the decks are going to have a character card, and it's double-sided. And one side represents your superhero identity, and the other one is your alter ego. And it's kind of interesting because what side that your character's on is going to have an impact in the game. During your turn, if you're on your hero side, you are able to activate different hero actions that you might not be able to activate when you're in your alter ego side. And you're able to take some kind of generic actions that will help you to uh, attack the villain or some of his minions that might be on the board or interact and thwart his scheme, which is the villain's plan that he's trying to enact. While you're on your alter ego side, you have the option to recover health as well as possibly activating certain actions on cards that are only available when you're in your alter ego side. Whenever you're playing cards from your hand, your cards are going to have two different purposes. Uh, Most cards are going to have an effect that you're able to play them with, but then they're also going to have a cost. And the way you're paying for these cards are from their costs that will be represented by symbols in their lower left-hand corners. So every time you're going to get this full hand of cards and you're trying to figure out what's the best way in order to play as many of these cards as you can to have the best benefit. 
at the end of your turn, you're going to be able to discard any cards you have left over. Um, and then you're always going to draw back up to your hand size. So each turn is going to have kind of this interesting thing where you might have a card that you might want to try to play later, but you, it, by saving that card, you're not going to be able to necessarily pay for everything that you want. Once all players have taken their turns, everything switches over to the villain phase. The villain starts off by placing threats on their uh, scheme that they have going on. Uh, these are just different kind of comic book plots that the villain's trying to advance through. The villain then interacts with each of the players depending on whether they're in their hero identity or their alter ego. If they're in their hero identity, then they're going to attack them. If they're in their alter ego identity, then they're going to continue to work on their scheme and advance it because there's no heroes there to stop them. Every hero is going to have to also deal with an encounter card that gets dealt out to them. These phases continue until one of either two things happen. The heroes win by defeating the villain. Each villain's going to have kind of two phases where you have to eliminate all their hit points. And then as soon as you get to their next level, they're going to be a little bit more powerful. And you have to uh, eliminate all their hit points again. For the villain to win, they either need to fully advance their scheme to the very end, or they can kill all the heroes. But one way or the other, heroes are either going to win together or they're going to lose together. The other thing about Marvel Champions is that it's a living card game. So uh, we've talked about Arkham Horror, living card game passing. It's just uh, the game is continuously being supported with new content. And unlike in CCGs where you're just buying a pack and you don't know what you're going to get inside of it, uh, with Fantasy Flight's living card game model, you know exactly which content's going to come in that. Um, the base box comes with five heroes and three villains. And to date, Fantasy Flight has released two hero packs. Each one came with like a fully playable hero deck, as well as some extra cards you can throw into your pool for deck building, as well as two villain scenario packs where it's just new villains you can fight. One of my favorite things about this game is the hero alter ego thing i love the idea that not like a lot of other games like there'll be like a shape-shifting person kind of that has this ability i love that it's that's like a staple of it that each hero has these two forms that they have to maneuver between and you have to maneuver between them you can't just stay in one form you have to be able to flip between the two figure out when it's most advantageous to move between the two forms and which cards are best for which form when. And I loved that kind of planning. I like to sit there and be like, hold on, can I stay in this form for one more turn or do I need to flip now? No, I think you hit exactly on the mark map where I think every fantasy flight game, living card game that comes out has one unique or one or two really strong design points to it. Um, and I think that is this game's most unique thing it has going for it. We've seen them refine over the years the way that they use resources. They use cards as resources to generate fuel to buy other cards and the way that they've sort of refined that system. But that alter ego thing seems to be the unique driving force behind this game, in addition to the villain and their scheming decks too. But I, I think that's excellent. And it it adds a sort of dynamicism to the game that isn't lacking other games but it makes for some interesting choices but still being very clear and thematic and easy to understand as you're playing the game telling someone you can only heal and rest when you're not being a superhero makes perfect mechanic and play sense and it, it lends a nice additional layer onto the game and the way that the villain interacts with that too is really interesting because then it gets to some timing thing where you say well we can take a couple more threat or scheme uh, but we can't really take any more damage right now so I, I i have to be in my rest mode right now yeah, I thought that was an excellent design point to this game. I really feel like this game like gets me into the theme of being a superhero because you're each choosing a specific person that you want to be, and that's who you are. You know, you're Spider-Man and Peter Parker. That's what you're doing. You're taking your cards are really themed around Spider-Man and the kind of things that he would do. Same thing with like She-Hulk um, and all the other heroes in here. And I really feel like I'm playing as part of the like Avengers because we're all usually when we play this game sitting there talking about well if i if i do these actions on my turn that'll set you up really nicely to be able to you know attack the main villain you know or i can get rid of different threats on his scheme and that means that he's going to be like you can get rid of like the last bit and that means we move on to the next stage in like the game um and i i get into the theme of marvel really good on this game 
Yeah, I think what helps this game and cooperative games kind of take like one or two directions, either like hero goes, villain goes, like either the villain goes after like every hero turn or they do like one big thing at the end of the round. And I think this game benefits from that one big villain phase at the end of the round because thematically it's kind of like, you know, all three heroes on the table are fighting at the same time in the same environment space. So like being able to plot what other people are doing on their turns, asking people to do actions on your turn, it's like you're all fighting in the same environment simultaneously even though you're you know you're taking your actions one after another you're moving simultaneously and then the villain does his thing simultaneously back to you and i think that works here for you know trying to convey that back and forth fighting thing this game is so evocative of the superhero genre for me because your choices matter and i think that's something that's like really like important to me in superhero stories is like the decision of what you do and especially with some of the, like the better stories where who that character is in their real life. Like Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but he's also trying to like pay his rent. And he's also trying to like get all of his stuff done, get his work done. And that comes up in this game, not just because like there's this really awesome thing where each of the heroes has their own kind of weakness card or obligation card that gets shuffled into the villain deck and can come up and usually just costs you to have to exhaust your character. But it's like this like real life event that like slows you down. But the game is almost built around that because you get this hand of cards and you're like, I want to do all of these things, but I can't do all these things because I have to use them to pay for them. So Every single hand is this really tough decision of exactly what you're going to use and what you're going to spend the other cards on. And I love that about this game, that every time you're drawing a hand and then you're going completely through that hand. I mean, I think that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's how we've been playing. and It's been moderately successful. But I love that because I haven't seen that in a lot of games where you are just getting that full refresh of your hand each time in order to play the different cards. Pulling back a little bit, Aaron, because I was super excited. I mean, I heard about this and shared it with you instantly, knowing that you were a huge Marvel fan. I think I have a, I do have a couple criticisms of the game, though. Like, I think the game is excellent, and I really have enjoyed And I've played it a number of times now, and I love playing it with you. The one thing that sort of rubs me the wrong way in this game is that the theme and those specific, like, hero obligation cards and things don't always come up there there feels like there's a lot of missed opportunity space in just the way the deck comes together like i i feel like this game doesn't pull me in as much as i want it to i like the mechanics of it i like the deck play and i like the card options i like the decisions the game gives to me but when i when i zoom out and look at the thing as a whole i don't always get the story i don't always get the sense of like you know, we went up against this big thing and this is the things that happened early in the game and then these things happen later in the game. A lot of it feels like kind of number crunching, adding tokens to cards just to make them go away. And I that, that criticism could be taken in a number of ways saying that I'm not putting enough thematic connection to it. But I think the way the decks design themselves, they don't always function. You're not guaranteed to see your individual hero's nemesis or weaknesses or things like that in a given play. And I think I've only seen one side scheme come out maybe. So I want those things to happen more often. I agree with you, Josh, like playing it. I think what like when I played Matt's characters, like nemesis thing came out and that seemed like really detrimental to him. And it was kind of like, OK, that's cool that it's there, but it's random when it happens and who it happens to. And I totally agree about the deck synergy thing. I think that's a kind of a negative thing you have to take alongside of the multipurpose cards, because when you have to use most of your hand to pay for a few cards you're trashing a lot of your potential deck synergy to pay for the stuff and that's just the trade-off you have to take for these cool multi-purpose cards when you don't have another type of resource that you're using to pay for cards like that just it's kind of like part and parcel for the whole thing i really like the game the game feels a little bit empty for me right now because so starting off, it's a it's a living card game, so you are encouraged to build decks. And when you get the base box, there's not a lot you can build. And something I didn't mention when we were going through, when I was going through the introduction to the game, there are these kind of like four different classes of cards, four different archetypes almost, and each of the heroes comes with a designated archetype that the game suggests you play them with, but they, you're free to kind of 
play them with any archetype that you'd want. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. And I, I haven't done a lot with that, but the deck building options aren't that deep right now. But beyond that, I don't have a big motivation to build a deck because, and I, I don't want to get into a huge comparison with Arkham Horror, the living card game, mm -hmm. but in that game, because you're going on this campaign adventure, because you're going to progress and level up your character, I really like thinking about like, okay, how is this deck going to play? And like, how's this going to synergize with everyone else that's playing? But when I'm playing just like a one-off game of Marvel Champions, I don't have this big incentive to kind of sit there and be like, well, what if I, I tried this? Or what if I pulled this in? It's kind of just like, okay, cool. Let me just grab my character deck and just play it. So this might be a game that we have to like come back and revisit again later because this coming summer, they're supposed to release an expansion. That's going to be a story box. And I don't know much about that. I've tried looking up information. I haven't really seen what that's going to entail, but if that brings it closer to kind of the Arkham horror living card game in terms of why you're building your decks and your motivations of building the decks and making them more of the character, I'm really interested to see in what that brings to the game. Yeah, I agree, Aaron. I, I too am missing the story in this. When I, I know that when I leave a play of this game, you know, usually I think we've won several. Well, I think we have a pretty good 50-50 rate or so, maybe a little bit over. But I know when I walk away from the table, I'm like, okay, I'm done. And that's not enough for me. I want more out of a game. Like, I feel like I did something, but it doesn't feel monumental. It doesn't feel like it's an achievement or that it was a challenge. It's just like at the end of the day, well, I got the right things to coordinate stuff. It worked out fine. We thwarted that villain. Pack it up and put it away. And that's all right. But I think this game has more depths to offer. And I don't think we've seen them yet. So what Josh is saying, I think, brings into a comparison between the two games for me. I agree with Matt that Marvel Champions, like, you feel like you're that hero. Like, you are that hero. But with Marvel Legendary, I get a better story feel between combining the villain and the scheme and the henchmen and the here and being like meta removed from the heroes, I get a better story of like we're and part of this is there's so much more content for legendary, but like we're the X-Men fighting this scenario. And today we were like a subset of the X-Men fighting this villain with these henchmen, with this scheme, and you're able to put together this narrative of all these moving pieces. But in Champions, the feeling of being that hero is better, but the narrative feels blah. Completely agree, Matt. Because in Champions, your your storylines, your schemes, your agendas that the villains are trying to do, they're cards that will have like some flavor text about what 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 they're doing, but it's really just adding tokens onto that card until it maxes out until it reaches what it's going to do and it might have some a few game mechanics that it's doing in the meantime as well but in legendary you are you have your whole agenda and it's affecting how the game's played it's affecting how cards like mechanically changing how different things are happening in a significant way and on top of that you have the villain who has different master strikes that'll happen that are fundamentally changing how mechanics are going out and it makes it feel more thematic it i connect with the theme more during that than with marvel champions agendas i think it also part of it is that with champions that whatever effects the like agendas are bringing in they happen when the villain takes his turn it's very mechanical and while technically it's still mechanical and legendary when they happen is completely random when you're drawing a card from the villain deck so every turn you're like please don't be the evil thing the villain's going to do because it's going to be so disruptive to what we're doing and you just you never know when it's coming while with champions it gets into like that math solving thing of like okay on the villain's turn because he has this agenda we know he's going to do this exact thing on his turn we can plan against it and i think that takes away from the story bit of you know the villain doing the same exact thing every turn that being said there's also this opportunities in the villain turn in champions where there are boost card potentials and you have your individual character encounters so that part at least feels a little bit like i have ownership of this troublesome thing happening whereas in legendary i imagine it's a bit more widespread um and a broader effect but 
Do you think the reason that you have more agency in Legendary is because you've taken the time to build the scenario? Like, it's almost like a customized scenario every time versus, you know, a designer presented this to you. Like, personally, I think the card design in Champions is probably more interesting, but what the cards do in Legendary, because you had some agency in that, maybe feels more interesting. It's not even so much it being interesting. It's just how the mechanics of it. It, it. It's purely just from a mechanical level that it's doing different things. Because um, with, with champions, it just kind of feels very samey. And it's not that like there's like a whole world that like legendary can mm-hmm. do, but it just feels less kind of linear might be the best word. Which has more overhead than in terms of rules. Like you mentioned that legendary can get finicky, but champions can get a little finicky too sometimes. I would much rather teach champions at this point okay. because it, it does have a decent amount of like stuff that you, you have to explain like the different like card types and everything. But then on the villain phase, I can kind of run things. I can explain how the boosts happen as they happen on legendary. I mean, every game that I'm playing, I feel like I'm learning too because I have to like go back and look up because like, not even to exaggerate, I think there's probably about like 50 different keywords mm-hmm. at this point and just how those all happen and then how they may or may not interact with each other. It's just kind of burdensome. Like the, the, the framework of legendary just by itself is probably a lot easier than champions because it's, it's a lot more straightforward and it's just deck building. It's like, hey, look, you, if you played a deck building game, you know how to you play it already. It's just like, here's your two currencies. One is swipeys and the other one is stars that you're buying stuff with. And like, even just saying that to someone that's been playing uh, hobby board games for a while, is just like, okay, cool. I got it. Like they have, they now know like 75% of the game and you can just hit the ground running. But then the flow of the game just slows down because you're constantly having to just look up so many different things. So when you're playing champions, because that flow doesn't get interrupted as much, I'd rather teach that. To me, I think it's actually, I think I'd use the word like reading. In Legendary, you don't have to do a lot of reading. Once you know like the one bold trigger word that's on the card, you got it. And there's not a lot of text on each card. Like you just got to read like the one word or the one symbol. And once you know what it means, it's very easy to understand. Well, I think Champions has a lot of reading evolved, especially with like the villain agenda cards. And it's great, like, if you have somebody at the table who knows what it is and is kind of, like, DMing the the villain's turn. But if you don't have that, like, there's a lot of, there is just a lot more reading and a lot more, like, remembering, hold on, guys, this card is telling us to do this before this, but after this, but hold on a second, because this agenda's out there, you know, we're doing this different thing. And that's just two different, like, it's, it's there's something negative going both directions it's just a matter of terminology versus reading i think my biggest thing between the two games is that like since they're both cooperative legendary has that mild bit of being an actual competition if you play it that way i think champions works better for me as a cooperative game because i feel like i'm working with everyone better than i am in legendary because in legendary if you don't end up buying the optimum cards to make a good deck. You're you wind up sitting on the sidelines by yourself a lot, which then just comes down to the basics of a deck building game versus a an LCG game, um, and having your hero cards being your cards from the start. Um, and I just I guess maybe that's just a personal thing more so is that I'd rather have my my hero cards and I know that I'm going to eventually have them and I'm going to be able to help out versus oh did I did I buy the right cards to make a deck right here? Because I know that when we played earlier, there were a few rounds where I said, well, I can only buy things this round. And if I buy something, we're going to lose this game. Um, So it was literally just a turn where I discarded my whole hand and did nothing with it. Um, Also regarding colors in these games, I think that champions is a little bit better because I think their iconography is a little bit bigger, um, but they both do have icons as well as the color coding of their things that make it possible that you can play either game. Um, I just think Champions does a little bit better at their iconography on their cards than Legendary does. So why don't we go through and do our recommendations for either other marvel theme games, superhero theme games, or if you have something else that you want to shout out that you can make fit, go right ahead. 
for me, if we're going to talk superheroes in games, uh, recommending Sentinels of the Multiverse has to happen. Not only it's one of my favorite games ever, it's much closer to Marvel Champions where you have a pre-made deck of a superhero. There's no option for customization. Like you're using that deck for that hero. So synergy is built in. You get a strong theme of what that character does. You're fighting a villain, but it still has that kind of narrativeness because you get to pick a villain, put them in a particular environment, which works a different way. And then you're customizing a team of heroes to go against him. And at this point, there's a large catalog of heroes. So you can do a lot of narrativeness with which heroes you're picking. It is very finicky. There's a lot of one plus one, but minus one over there going on in this game, which puts off a lot of people. And if you don't like that, I even though I love it, I would strongly recommend people to stay away. Like if that's not your thing, don't play this game. Like I don't I think if you can't get over that hump, you're never going to get over it. But if that's not a problem, this to me, Sentinels is the superhero game to play. Yeah, Sentinels is fantastic, in my opinion. I know other people have different opinions that might be sitting at this table, too. But Sentinels of the Multiverse, if you like superheroes, it is so worth checking out. If you like Marvel Champions, it's worth checking out. And if you like if you like that game and you like podcasts, you should listen to the Letters Page podcast because they talk all about the lore of the game. And it really up my appreciation of that game but my recommendation is not from sentinels of the multiverse even though it kind of is but i'm going to recommend hail hydra because it's a marvel theme game it's a social deduction game where everyone is going to be a different character from the marvel universe and you're some of you are secretly going to be affiliated with hydra it's really cool because everyone has a once per game power that they can use and the nice thing about the game is that it'll give you strategy on each character card. They'll say, hey, if you are aligned uh, a hero, you should use your power this way. But if you're secretly on Hydra, you should use your power this way. It plays really well in its social deduction because you're all secretly playing your attack cards face down. And you uh, get flipped over and you're never sure who played what. It's just, it's really worth playing, not just for its Marvel theme, but for itself as just a social deduction game. And that is Hail Hydra. My recommendation this week is I kind of have two so my real recommendation is for Arkham Horror Living card game because that's the game I want you to play if you want to be heroes but it's not superhero or Marvel themed so what I'm going to recommend is a is a game that came out relatively recently with not a lot of fanfare and it's called The Reckoners and it's based on the series of books by Brandon Sanderson I think it's a much more simplistic style cooperative game it's got sort of some action programming action chaining and it reminds me a lot of the Marvel United Kickstarter that just launched from Come On. So if you're interested in that or you're a fan of those book series, um, Steelheart is, I think, the first book in that series, maybe give The Reckoners a look. Um, might be worth looking into. Uh, and for my recommendation, it is One Night Supervillains. It's of that same series of One Night games, so it is a social deduction game. Um, what I like about this one is that everyone gets to be either a superhero or a villain, so everyone will have some sort of... Um, ability that they get to activate at some point in the game. It's a lot of fun, especially if you download the audio helper app. Um, the guy that does the voice for it is hilarious um, and really adds to the game. Um, and it's really quick too, so it's it's definitely a good game to have if you are just trying to like kill a little bit of time, or you know you're beginning your board game night. So that's one night supervillains. And the narrator for that is actually uh, Eric Summer, who is the host of the Dice Tower. Oh, oh wow, I had yeah. no idea that was him. I didn't know that either. That's amazing. Way to go. Yeah. So that brings us to our broader view, and we decided today we were going to do a fun air quotes around one. Uh, one time we did a broader view about games we would bring onto a deserted island, and I had a lot of nonsense. Fun. Yeah, it was <laughs> such nonsense. It was the best ever. <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to that episode, everyone, if you haven't. Yeah. So this one, we wanted to go with like the heroic theme, and uh, instead of you know saving something from a burning building, we're going to say, which three games from your collection would you save from a burning building? I will have one caveat, though, that I want to share, because I went to an arson training, not like how to commit arson, but how to like prosecute arson crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Fire is no joke. Like, if your house is on fire, like, oh, yeah, don't go back in for anything material. And it, it is terrifying how fast a fire can spread in your house. Go check your smoke detectors now and just make sure they're all accurate because I, 
no joke, fire is a scary, scary thing. You can ensure your game collection. Take pictures. Do that. Yeah. Don't go rescue them. Just always want to share that because I it blew my mind going to that conference. The things I didn't realize and just how quickly and dangerous a fire can be. But theoretically, if you were fireproof and could go back into your house or a superhero, or a superhero, exactly. At least maybe this time we all understand what saving games from a fire means, which was the biggest problem with the playing on the desert island thing, <laughs> which was none of us understood what bringing games to a desert island meant my first one is ticket to ride 10th anniversary edition called it not only is it the most expensive game i own but it is also my favorite game ever and i will never let that game go yeah i think i mean all mine are gonna be like collector items things too especially since that game has the special trains in it i i couldn't sacrifice those special little trains uh, my first game that I would rescue, and I'm going to do this one first because I'm pretty sure it's also one Aaron would rescue. I know which one you're going to pick right now. Yeah, it's going to be my giant black box of Sentinels. Like, having it, it's the whole game. Like, it's there. And practicality, it's all in one big box together. So I can just scoop it up in all of its 120-pound glory and run it out of the house. And it's because... One, the game means something to me, but it's the fact that it's, you know, spent a really long time collecting all of it and putting it all together in like one big holding device. I want to run out the door with it like it. It means something. And the thread of all my games is like things that I couldn't really replicate again, I think. And that's one of them. That one sentimentally. Yes. Like for a lot of the same reasons. I think I could collect all of that again, so it, it did not make my list, but it came very, very close to my list. And I feel bad, because now I feel like I'm like betraying my Sentinels of the Multiverse and just letting it go. It's right behind you, looking I know, at you. I know, I know. It's I feel, hearing you say that you would let it burn. I know, I know, and I, I, I do apologize to it, but I just... So my first pick is one that I've said on the show specifically before for this exact scenario, and that is my copy of the Days of Wonder printing of Coliseum, because I can't replace that, because the current printing of it, I don't want. I want this one, and it's actually more than that, because like I really have a lot of memories connected to this one and playing with this copy. Inside of that one is a... Um, guide to how to teach the game that I printed out and put in there to try to help me with teaching games because I was so early on in my board gaming hobby that teaching was completely overwhelming to me but I really wanted people to play this game with me because I really liked it I remember you showing up with mm -hmm. those teaching directions like with that game way back when because of that because I have that memory with you guys in particular with that game I just I don't want to lose it so my my first pick has a bit of an asterisk by it, but it is a specific game. So the game that I would rescue from fire is my current copy of Pandemic Legacy Season 2 because I am midway through it. It is the only Legacy game I'm currently playing. So it would generally be whatever Legacy game I'm on, but because I don't want to reset that, because that to me, I'm not a big thing person, but to me that's like a memory and experience I'm in the process of having right now. And to go back to reset that and like have to be like, Sorry, guys, we can't ever finish that one. I won't remember what happened specifically. So I would keep the current copy of whatever legacy game I'm playing, in which case this is Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I can completely piggyback off of that because I would take my copy of Gloomhaven. Of course. That... I was going to piggyback off and say I would take your copy of Gloomhaven too. <laughs> yeah. So both you, of your you number two. Yes. You would have to. Yeah. Like the fact that we're like a third of the way through it, mm -hmm. we've put so much effort into it. And between all of us... We've marked things like we've all equally been marking things and tracking things and really team contributing like to this thing. Like I would put that board and I've actually been thinking about this and why I've been taking like really good care of the board. I would like actually like put that board in a little frame when we were done of like this is our world. These are the markings we put on this world and just like put it up on the wall because it just it looks like a map. And I've thought about that. Like, that's why I try to be, like, really careful with, like, what we do with the board and making sure, like, all my markings are consistent. Because I'm like, if I do want, like, I would put it up and be like, this is the thing that me, Matt, and Cody did for a year. And I would 100, even when it was done, I would still save it because I would never 
replicated again. So my next one is another Days of Wonder that's out of print, and it's Mystery Express. And it's a similar thing. It's it's similar to Coliseum that and it's not just that I can't get it anymore, but I have so many memories of that game and of us sitting around and playing it and like trying to like really learn how to play that game because we all loved or not all of us but some of us really liked deduction games and it was a new kind of deduction game it was like the first kind of new deduction game for us like i remember describing it as clue on a train on crack because it was just so crazy and so much going on to wrap your head around and i loved it as a mental exercise so not only is it because i can't go out and buy it again but i just don't want to lose those memories of those like early gaming experiences my second game, uh, which is kind of a new acquisition for me, but I would actually save my Star Wars Living Card Game collection because I sought it out and had to collect it, and I bought a complete collection. Uh, it's no longer in print, but it has the artwork from the old Star Wars universe, and because of licensing agreements, that's not something that's ever going to be created again, and it's not easy to seek out now. So I love the art in the game, and I love the expanded universe before they went trilogy, like prequel and sequel crazy. So it's an early Eric Lang design, I think it's a great game, and I like that I have it in its entirety, and I wouldn't want to have to try and piecemeal it um, and find it again. My third game is 1775, and I know that like I could, if I lost it in a fire, I could easily buy another copy, but it's really just, it's been one of my favorite games to buy, and like I don't buy a lot of games, so for me to commit money to anything is kind of a big deal to me, and it's also because like it comes from you know like a company it comes from academy games and it's a company i love and i like finding companies i think that do gaming but also do a sidestep and one of their think big things is education and using board games to educate people um especially about history like it hits like all the boxes for me um so to to lose that game would be kind of big even though i would be able to buy another one my third game, and when I was trying to think about it, I would save my Pandemic Legacy 2 as well. Like, it was it was something I did with my brothers, which will probably never be replicated. Like, I, one, any Legacy game, you're never going to replicate it again. But I'm probably never going to really ever game with my brothers again. And that was something that we did for, like, a month together of playing through that game. So I would want to keep it. Like, I wouldn't want to lose that. I will probably never look at it or open it again but I would feel bad if I lost it. So my, Is it what I think it is? I don't think it's going to be. Really? I, what do you think it is? I thought it'd be Arcadia Quest. So I was just going to say, I have so many Kickstarter exclusives that oh. I have that like I'm not going to be able to replace them again. And I, I know I should pick one of those like because like, the others came to mind and Arcadia Quest came to mind. And like, I have a guess for you, too. It's not going to be anything that anyone guesses. Okay. Really? I would save my copy of Bloodbound. And this is like so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> because it is still in print and it, the version that's in print right now is so much better, but this is just another memory thing for me because my copy of Bloodbound, it's so Bloodbound is this game, it's a social deduction game where you're vampires and you're stabbing each other and just trying to it, it it's a really fun social deduction game and it's kind of like random. It's not too deep. Like don't think too much about it, but my version is the original printing or whatever printing I have that has this art of just real, realistic vampire. I don't, it, they're it, cosplayers. They are. They're, yeah. It's just cosplayers. It's art of cosplayers, which is just, it's just awesome. Like I just love it because we looked at it and we're like, wow, like this is not the kind of art we were expecting for this game. And like we have, I have so many fond memories of us playing that version of that game and it would really, really break my heart to lose that because sometimes even like, even if we haven't played in a while, I just see it on the shelf. I look at it and I smile and that would be really hard for me to lose that. So I was thinking through my collection and I definitely have some out of print games and I definitely have a few things that I should save, but if I'm really being honest, the game that I would grab and run out of the house with is Ladies and Gentlemen. First off, it sits <laughs> in a prominent position on my gaming shelf because I love it. I don't even know if it's in print. It's probably still in print. Maybe it's not. I don't care. I need to have it. Like, our group needs to have that game in some way, shape, or form. And since none of you saved it, I'm going to be the one to save it because we cannot lose that. So, I'm taking Ladies and Gentlemen. You're the only one that owns it. What? At this table, you're the only one that owns it. 
Well, then I'm absolutely taking ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's very precious and important to yep. us now. Yep. What was yours that you thought I was going to keep, Matt? TI3. I yeah I mean there's so much out of print stuff like because I also thought about like Rex just because I would rather have I thought TI3 because you were going like because of your theme Mm -hmm. there's so many memories associated with that game and you can't replace that like you have the whole thing like I would have said Arkham Horror 2 for you yeah I mean it's it's hard like really if I did lose my collection like I I'd be yeah sad i might be happy that like me and isaac and our our dog and no i thought about that and it it did fit my my memories theme of like yeah we have like so many awesome memories of playing that but specifically with that one i was like oh we've been playing ti4 now (laughs) like we've been playing that a lot so like you know balances out but it's tough like because there are i'd be very sad to lose my collection i mean it's rough like i i have lost my collection and i try to think about that like when I was picking which games I was going to save, I was like, oh God, I'm picking like such newer stuff that I've like just been playing. But then I thought about it. I was like, no, like I lost my entire gaming collection. I lost all of those memories associated with those games. So these are now the games that I have new sets of memories with. And I think that is what you end up trying to save is games that you're attached to for out mostly outside of gaming reasons like you're not going to save the most well-designed elegant game you're going to save the thing that you're emotionally attached to i really like that as a moment to end the episode on yeah i'm gonna do that Uh, but yeah like i said at the end of the episode reach out to us with ideas for episodes for things you want to hear about also leave us reviews on apple podcasts or however else you listen to podcasts and then join us in two weeks where our category is going to be Vincent Dutrait and we're going to talk about the games Museum and Treasure Island. Our music was provided to us by the band Delicious Pastries. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at menonboardpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at menonboardpodcast. Find us on Twitter at menonboardpod. We have a guild over on Board Game Geek. Our website is menonboardpodcast.com. Men on Board is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network of Podcasts. Find other great podcasts at Dicetowernetwork.com. Thank you for listening and good night. Night everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening and good night. Check your smoke detectors. Bye. Night everyone. <laughs> good night. Not a joke. Do that. If you if you, that's the only takeaway from this episode, go check your smoke detectors. <laughs> Actually, let's uh, do another good night because I'll have that be the outtake one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>